Welcome to the Everything Went Black podcast. I've known Jesse Matthewson for close to, I don't know, 20 years. He's the uh, guitarist and singer in the band Ken Mode. If you haven't heard of these guys, you should definitely check them out. If you like brutal noise rock, you need to check these guys out. They've got a bunch of records. Uh, some of their more recent work is available on Season the Mist, so it's pretty easy to find. Before we get started, I just want to shout out our affiliate sponsors. Probably my favorite is Onnit. I use tons of their products on a daily basis. Krill oil, Strongbone, uh, a bunch of other stuff, including the Hemp Force Protein for recovery. Um, definitely check them out. Datsusara is another product that I use on a daily basis. I have the Datsusara Battle Pack, which I carry all my gear in. It's with me every day. So, um, so yeah, if you're interested in uh, really cool bags, uh, grappling shorts, uh, hemp chopsticks, check it out. This episode and every episode is brought to you by Savage Gold Coffee. I've been talking about this for a while. It's my coffee company. If you like strong coffee, head on over to savagegoldcoffee.com and buy yourself a couple bags. If you dig the podcast, uh, please give us a review and a star rating on iTunes. Uh, it actually makes a difference in where we stand on the iTunes ratings, so uh, feel free to Give us five stars or one star or whatever you feel is appropriate. You can check us out on Facebook, Everything Went Black, and you can follow me at Mike Hill HQ. So enough of all this talk, and let's get on to more talk with Jesse Matthewson. You see the fights last night? I did. Uh... Interesting. It's it's funny with cards like that where like half the fights are just not interesting at all, and then the last two, like they they definitely delivered. Yeah, yeah. I only really kind of picked and choose like what fights I watched. Um, like I don't, I didn't watch any of the prelims, and um, like I wa I paid attention to maybe half of the main card. And uh, I mean, mm -hmm. I really paid attention to the last two, like, you know, Lombard versus Magni and uh, Mir versus Hunt. And I think I actually predicted both of those fights. And uh, like, because I did a, you know, Andrew and I did a uh, breakdown of the event and um, made predictions cool. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I kind of, I, I, I thought the headlining fight was kind of a pick em. It could have gone either way. But uh, I thought Magni was going to take that. I think with the whole lump, Bud being busted, and I, I just don't think he, he his fighting style has the gas tank for a lot of the newer guys, especially if they're durable enough, and that ended up being the way it played out. But uh, boy, I didn't expect him to get torn apart like he did in the second round. That was kind of brutal to watch with the ref allowing it to continue going like that. 
Yeah, it was like super uncomfortable. I thought, I'm like, when the fuck is this guy going to like call it, man? He was just getting headshot after headshot. And it was pretty brutal. And I was, I think, uh, next. Yeah, especially after Magni kind of looked up at him like, what do I have to do here? It's just like, dude, someone please stop this fight. Like Lombard's not getting up from that. And then when they started the third round, he was like starting the round wobbly like that. Just, ugh. He's yeah. going to get hurt. Yeah, I think uh, this coming week there's probably going to be a lot of commentary on on stoppages and that kind of business. Cause, mm-hmm. um, or even like that is as they pointed out, like neither of those rounds had ten eights, which is like, what the hell do you have to do? Yeah. And then uh, I actually pit, picked Hunt in that uh, in the main event, thinking that Mir recently has been trying to showcase his boxing skills and. Uh, you can't really do that with a guy like Mark Hunt who can knock you out with one punch and who has like the very celebrated history in uh, striking, you know, all of his K1 experience and everything. Yeah, Mears, like he, he has improved his stand-up quite a bit, but he tends to only be successful against guys who aren't natural strikers. And uh, the only real example of a striker who didn't do as well against him was uh, when he fought Krokop, but that's obviously not like a prime Krokop. But yeah. uh, any other examples, like when he fought Dos Santos, he just kind of got storched. So I, I kind of thought that would happen if if they ended up boxing it. That's that's the way it played out. Moore's takedowns suck. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, man. He's not really, like, a great wrestler or anything. I mean, if he once he gets you on the ground, it's cool, but it's, you know, he's the man. But, yeah, he's not, his, like, double legs and single legs aren't really, you know, happening, you know. Kind of sucks to realize just how many, like, I guess it's, what, the last three years he's lost, like, six and one, two or something like that. Yeah. Might be uh, near the end. Yeah. But who knows, it's a UFC heavyweight division, it's... Everything's all fucked all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking Hunt's of turning forty-two soon, and that that doesn't seem like he should be near the top of the division. That's that's ridiculous. But that's the state of things. Yeah. Speaking of fucked, um, I feel like the UFC is starting to turn into the WWE with all this like bullshit. With um, I mean, you know, apparently it looks like. Uh, 200 is going to be a rematch with McGregor and Diaz with apparently no title fights on that card. Yeah, I it'll be interesting to see if that actually happens because I I don't know. I think it's it's kind of stupid. I understand that they're just trying to milk this for all it's worth, but Diaz has been pushing cuz he wants uh Dos Anjos and Dos Anjos wants I guess Lawler I I don't know why I, I understand that like McGregor against anyone right now equals money, but like come on, you're holding up all these divisions. Like the people want to see him against Frankie Edgar, so fucking do it. Yeah, that's how I see it. Like they have this potential for like a bunch of good title fights for UFC 200. Give us the title fights. Make something that means something. I'm cool with all the like trash talk and over-the-top promotion like it for me it does make it fun but give us meaningful fights at the same time like at least with like all the trash talk surrounding jones and cormier like there's a legit title fight going on there it's 
actually the two best guys in the world fighting. Yeah. And it's funny as hell, especially with Jones kind of embracing just what a shitbag he can be. I'm down with that. And I think that was one of the reasons why I, um, I always felt like Jones's personality was a little fishy in the beginning. Um, you know, there was like, man, this guy can't be so squeaky clean. He can't be this like, you know, good Christian guy. Um, and be such a savage in the octagon. And um, sure enough, like the dude is like a wild man. And I, I'm, I'm stoked that he's actually embracing this persona and um, makes me like him more. Yeah, it's funny how I, I think McGregor has kind of contributed to that because he's basically been playing Ric, like an Irish Ric Flair. And I think with the fans buying more and more into McGregor, I think the more Jones is kind of a bully and a shithead, people are liking that too, simply because he is the best. Like even even the chinks in his armor, like the the Gustafson fight, like him talking about how he was partying too much and basically admitting to not training enough. Like I went back and watched that fight yesterday, and it, it is actually quite apparent from the onset of that fight that it's like, yeah, he's like mouth breathing from like halfway into the first round. And he still pulled it out. Like, I don't know, junk like that. Like, I, I'm stoked to see how horrifying he's going to be against Cormier, especially, like, with all the powerlifting he's been doing and wanting to focus on the one-punch knockout. It, it could be a very exciting time for MMA fans. Yeah, especially since Jones hasn't really knocked anyone out ever, I don't think, at least. No. <laughs> it is funny. Uh, like, I know Chuck Liddell's been talking some shit on Jones recently, and saying how he just doesn't find him exciting and blah, 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 doesn't go for the kill. It's like people are forgetting that, like, shy of the last couple Jones fights, like, the old guard of the light heavyweight division, he finished all of them, yeah. like, in brutal fashion. Like, that anyone could pretend that he's a boring fighter just because the last couple have been a little bit harder because he's fighting the best dudes of the new crop. Like, come on. The way he took the belt from Shogun, like, that was horrifying. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, yeah, I think, Chuck, I love Chuck Liddell, but he's got to stay in his lane, man. You know, I mean, I think that, uh, just kind of let Jones do his thing. And I think that, um, you know, like, once again, like you mentioned, that he really is the best versus the best, which in the case of Conor McGregor, I don't really feel like it's, he's actually really fought the best. If you take out the Jose Aldo fight, okay, like, who did he beat besides a, an out-of-shape Chad Mendez? He beat Dennis Seaver, who was, I think, ranked eighth. Well, then he beat uh, a last-minute Max Holloway, which actually, that was the fight that, that, was, that was really won, won me over the most. I um, Going yeah. back and watching that fight, because, like, Holloway's a legit badass, and he, he completely dominated him. That was the last fight Holloway lost, but also I feel yeah. like that was the beginning, like, sort of the old Max Holloway. And then the new Max Holloway, I feel like, is a different guy than the old Max Holloway. And uh, I think that he was a beatable opponent back then. But now I feel like he's... I mean, that's what, like two years ago, at, at least, right? That fight? Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Uh, hopefully McGregor does more fights at 145 because it, 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 it obviously, like, that's that's styles make fights and it makes it exciting. So to see how he'll match up against some of these other guys in legit fight camps, like, I'm I'm stoked to see that, and that's kind of the whole point of the sport. And if he's a mouthpiece the way he is, it'll sell the fights, so it, it, it keeps people excited. 
the fact that the Aldo fight had that much buildup and then he won, like, no, well, I guess the casual fans thought he'd win just because they buy into the hype, but, like, most of the hardcore fans didn't really think he was going to win. And then when he won, it's a legit, like, holy shit. Aldo was beat before that he even got into the fucking ring, man. Like, Yeah, which is wild. Yeah, everyone wanted that motherfucker to lose. Everybody. Every motherfucker on board, including Dana White and the UFC. Everyone wanted that guy to lose. It was like he was being sacrificed to some fucking demon and that's exactly what happened, man. Like, he was the sacrificial lamb to the money machine. And he just was broken, like, mentally before he even started that fight. I mean, he, he rushed right in, man. And that's how he got taken out. He got counterstruck and he rushed right in, even though he landed. But still, that's not really how he fights. So, I don't know. I'm not a Conor McGregor fan. But that's, uh, you know, anyone listening to this podcast already knows that. So Yeah. I, I, I didn't used to be, and he's won me over. I think it's fun. Yeah. Although he kind of gets a little too repetitive. Yeah, I just think it's a, little, it's a little crazy. There's a lot of illusion and fantasy, and, you know, I don't know. I just, I'd rather watch Glory, and where the best actually are fighting the best. Yeah, I, I wish we got Glory properly in Canada. It's kind of annoying with the whole ESPN thing. We get Sometimes it gets shown, other times it doesn't. With the fight network that shows it a week later, it's just total bullshit. Well, it's on. I it's, really wish they had a better business model. Yeah, I mean, it's on. It's on US UFC uh, Fight Pass. You can you can watch it. Yeah, but they only do like the the Super Fight series, which is the prelims for those shows. Oh fuck, that's right, man. Yeah, because the last yeah, the last been one driving me crazy, man. Oh man, what a drag. See, um, I'm not a cool guy. I don't have a life. I want to watch kickboxing on Friday night. Yeah, that was like one of the coolest things about Friday nights, man, was coming home and watching Glory or the occasional Bellator that was on that was interesting. And then there was also uh, Premier Boxing, which was on uh, Friday night, Lights Out or whatever they did on Spike. Hmm. And um, at least, you know, down here, that was pretty cool. But um, I just canceled my cable my cable service now because it just was getting too expensive. So, I just um, reach off my parents for all that stuff. Well, that, that's what I started doing. <laughs> I actually got the, the Spike app, and I just used their account information. The same thing with Fox. Oh, cool. So, you know, you got to do what you got to do Not sometimes. Too shabby. Yeah, yeah we, we do. Uh, we have a family-sponsored, uh, I think Kenmode actually pays for it, the UFC Fight Pass account. Oh, nice. It's a good system. It's one of the perks. One of the perks <laughs> of being in Kenmode. <laughs> So, um, you guys have been very, very busy the last couple of years down here in, um, in the States as well as overseas, it seems like. And, um, so are you, are you guys yeah. going to be t- going to uh, continue your reign of terror in North America? No, we're, we're, we're scaling it back. We're tired. We're sick of it. We need to make some, uh, some adult money for a little while. So I think we're going to give people a breather for a good year. And, um, do you working on new material during this period? So far, we've done nothing. It's kind of weird. I, I think we needed a bit of a break from thinking of doing anything at all, but I'm starting to get the itch again where I need to create something because it's been a while since I've so much as even written a riff. So uh, I, I, I'm, I think I need to, to quench that thirst before I actually go crazy. 
I think there's only so much that Thai boxing can can fix in my brain before I start to need to create again. So, uh, but yeah, I, I, we're gonna we're actually going out to the the Juno Awards in Calgary in like a week and a half, and we're gonna rehearse in Saskatoon, where our bassist Scott lives, and I think we're gonna try and write some stuff then. Cool. Just since we're all together and having kind of a road trip shtick, so it'll be nice. How, how you guys has your EP come out yet? It comes out April first in a couple of weeks, and um, oh, cool. yeah, so that, that's going to be coming out. And we just finished up a tour in January. Then we're doing some dates in May, and we're trying to put together some plans for later on in the year. Um, all in all, in North America, um, we're given we were in Europe quite a bit last year, so we're sort of taking a break from that. And uh, yeah, I hear that. Yeah, we kind of I think. You guys did maybe a little longer of a tour in Europe, but we kind of had a similar approach where it hit it a few times, and then you kind of got to sit back and, like, we got to create a demand here again. Maybe wait a little bit before going back to Europe. Yeah, we actually don't even have a booking agent in Europe anymore. We um, we changed camps, and we're working with Rock the Nation over there for the last tour, and they completely, mm. completely, totally fucked the whole the whole thing up the whole fucking tour got foobarred by them and um so now we you know before the tour was even over the dude just basically admitted defeat and was like all right yep yep, you don't have to pay me my commission on this because i fucked it up completely and uh i was like yeah that's cool because i wasn't planning on that at all um (laughs) so thanks for acknowledging what i was going to do anyway and um so now yeah so now we don't have an agent over there and uh I, you know, after that experience, um, I was like, man, I don't want to go to Europe for a while. I'm just going to like concentrate on North America, stay home, like tour domestically, head up to Canada. And, um, you know, that, that'll, that'll come later. But now it's funny. I, um, I was listening to Breach, uh, Collapse. And that record always reminds me of being in a van driving across Germany. And (laughs) suddenly I'm like, man, I want to fucking... I think I think I'm ready to go back to Europe, man. I want to drink like the one euro uh, americanos that are available at those like um, those auto auto lodge or whatever the hell it's called. Those fucking rest stops they have. <laughs> and um, yeah, I don't know. Suddenly, just in the last few days, I feel like I want to go back to Europe. So we're gonna start putting that together somehow. Cool. Yeah, I still don't have that itch, so I uh, I feel you, but I don't feel you. Yeah. <laughs> Black Tusk came through Winnipeg on tour the other week, and uh, Shane and I went and hung out with those guys because we uh, toured with them, and today's the day in 2013. Yep. And uh, Shane kind of turned to me after the show and just said, like, I, I don't envy what those guys are doing right now at all, uh, which was just kind of funny because a lot of the time when friends of ours come through on tour or something and if we're not on tour, a lot of the time there's just that, that feeling where it's like, man, I wish we were out right now. And it's just kind of trippy for us both to be going like, yeah, I don't want to be on tour right now, like at all. Yeah, well, you guys are just out. It seems like you were on tour pretty much for two years straight or something like that, right? Yeah, it's, it's been for the most part like on and off again, shy of, pockets in certain years like for the past five years we've been out at least six months of the year that's a lot of road work so it's it's pretty logical that at this point you would be like yeah it's time to take a break you know yeah 
because also it gets to be a certain point. Um, it's almost like a law of diminishing returns where if people know that they can see you like every two months, then I feel like they're not, they're not as likely to come out to the shows, you know? Yeah. That's, that's a hundred percent the situation we're in. Yeah. And, uh, I think also just like when you, especially the, the time frame of when we started touring harder, uh, when you, you do that over like a five year span, you start to see some of the, the people who were going to see you in the first place when you started, they're just a little bit older. Like in, with our demographic, it's usually people 25 to 35. And when you tour that much and come through cities like three times a year, like people have jobs they got to go to. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> and if, if they didn't when they first met you, after five years, chances are they're going to have grown up a little bit. <laughs> no, agreed, man. And, um, you know, and that, that's kind of been like our approach of like, you know, we, we tour fairly regularly, but um, my old band used to be a band where we would be in your town like every two months. And then, you know, that knowing that experience, I'm like, yeah, I think this time around we're going to be a little more choosy about how often we tour and like when we go out and try to be um, – you know, just like smarter and like a little bit more strategic about it, you know, instead of just banging mm-hmm. it out. So, and there, there is a certain uh, charm to kind of pound the pavement a bunch off the hop to kind of make it so you've left an impression and, and then scale it back, hoping that people will care. So, we'll, we're now entering that hoping people care stage. We'll see whether or not uh, it actually pays off when we put out another record. Yeah, that's a good approach, I think. A lot of people don't know how long you guys have been a band, and it's been over 10 years, I think, right? Well, at this point, this year, it's 17. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> 17 years, yeah. So what's Yeah, it- that, is, that is the funny part. People people think that Venerable was our first record, Yeah, and uh, they're, some are just starting to find out now just how long we've been around, because, yes, you were talking about your old band. Like, we played with you guys in... What, 2003? Yes, yep. Yeah, somewhere like upstate New York, I think. Yeah, I think that was 2004. We played with you guys in Texas uh, the year before with oh, uh, yeah. Kill the Client. Mm-hmm. That's right. I think that was our first U.S. tour. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Now I remember that one, too. Yeah. yeah. So, shit all blends together, man, as you know. Oh, yeah. But uh, so how, how did you guys really... I just want to go over a little bit of those early years because, you know, a lot, like I was saying, a lot of people think that those... Your, your involvement with Season of Mist is like the beginning of your career, but there's actually several records that came out prior to that. Yeah, we kind of, our first tour we ever did was with the end of that relapse band that yep. kind of rode Dillinger Escape Plan's coattails, and from there we uh, we linked up with everybody's buddy, Gordon Conrad and the Escape Artist crew, and that's kind of how we met all you guys and all that stuff. Uh, and I guess... We were kind of like the children of that scene back then because there was that, that kind of circuit of like Hydra Head and Escape Artist bands that all had sort of an aesthetic that in common, yet at the same time, in other ways, not really. But it was kind of a, a cool scene of the, the early 2000s, and we kind of jumped in at the tail end of that stuff around like, 2001 2002 yeah that's about that seems about right yeah so we we got on the on the train right as it was crashing (laughs) (laughs) 
it's funny to think back um, and realize that the sort of heyday of this whole thing only lasted like maybe two or three years, you know, when, yeah. when, um, you know, like with, with the sort of rosy colored glasses that you oftentimes look back on the past, you feel like, Oh yeah, man. Like this was like this time that was like really cool and it lasted for like five years. But then when you really look back on it, you're like, Oh yeah, I, this only really happened. Like things are only really cool for like two years. And, and then it just sort of disappears or people do different things or, you know, like one guy gets bored of doing it and he leaves and gets married or gets his girlfriend pregnant or whatever, or some guy gets a new job and then things just kind of like fade. And that's kind of how like the whole escape artist, um, world, like it was like, like, in the, I mean, we were one of the first bands that worked with Gordon and Adam and, uh, there was like a lot of enthusiasm and a sort of a very what i would consider success in my very meager expectations back then for like the first couple of years and then slowly things just kind of like you know life i think kind of happened to all those guys and things things changed in the environment of the of the music scene and things just sort of like drifted off you know and it's, it's kind of mm-hmm. it's kind of sad but also it's just the sort of way of everything and then especially like the way that label kind of inevitably ended, like with Adam kind of having a family and Gordon being busy with other stuff and then all the distributors completely falling apart. And like, I know they were owed huge amounts of money from their distributors too, before they filed for bankruptcy. And it's, it was just kind of a, a sad way for everything to end. Cause I know when lumberjack slash mortem went under it, it killed a ton of labels. Yes. Cause that was like pretty much Mortem. It was like Mortem and Lumberjack were almost like, we're pretty much competitors back then. And, yeah. um, you know, Mortem was like, they had more, actually, I think Mortem, you had to be an exclusive with them in order to be distributed by Mortem back in the old days. And like mm-hmm. Lumberjack was like, kind of like, if you wanted to send them some records that sell them for you, you know what I mean? They were, they were like a way easier, um, you know, organization to work with. And then, yeah, I remember, I remember they had like a lot of the hardcore labels back in the day. Yeah. And then when there was that big, I remember the big merger, because I believe I was working at Newberry Comics in the warehouse at the time that that merger happened, or that whoever one purchased the other, I don't remember exactly how it went down, but that was like this mm-hmm. big, this big deal, you know, it's like the end of the fucking music industry, because Mortem is being purchased by Lumberjack or vice versa or whatever. And, um... And it's funny because as important as that seemed at the time, less than 10 years later, all that shit evaporated. Like anything of, that had to do with independent music distribution, I think all that shit's gone, really. I think Very Distro's gone. I think maybe Ebullition still exists. Yeah, and it's it's severely scaled back from what it was, which it's just kind of a bummer. It. Uh... As much as there's a lot of elements of the internet and the way the scene is now that is easier, uh, there are a lot of things that are a lot harder to about just entering anything in the music industry, which really sucks. A lot of the, the DIY ethic of it all has kind of been stripped clean and everyone... It's almost like they're, they're playing big shot all the time. And it's... I don't know. Maybe we're just old, but it's sad to see that. Well, I think it really, it affects, 
the way music is being played and and touring is happening and you know i mean i think that it really does affect the approach and the sort of aesthetic of everything because mm-hmm. you know younger kids coming into it now didn't live through like the 90s where you had to actually produce something with there was a lot of a lot more sweat and blood that went into making things back then like even zines which are all gone mm-hmm. like you had to know about design you had to have you know good writing you had to know how to you know get advertisers and you know distribution like all those zines were distributed by the same distributors that distributed the records so yeah you had to have now a, you just need a now you just need a tumblr yeah you just need a tumblr account and you could put your meaningless worthless asinine fucking opinions out there and feel like you're actually contributing to culture you know which is what you know journal music journalism is just that now you know yeah. so but yeah that like ability to make things happen is is missing from the sort of education of like the younger people that are entering the scene you know and it's that that is really where things are st- i think are starting to change because you know being in a band um nowadays all you need is a you know a mac laptop with like garage band you can make a demo you know back then you actually had to spend money and resources on finding a studio that was cheap enough for you to actually get in there and do your thing and now it's just like you just have a fucking iphone and you can make a demo of your your music you know it's like kind of funny to, to think about that you know like how painstaking it was back then just to make a recording of, of you know some bullshit little demo how fucking hard that was to do back then you know and now it's like and it's, it's easy you know and it's almost like as a result of how easy things are it makes it so people's attention spans are just so much shorter like it's, it's easier to get people's attention right off the hop but maintaining it is it's almost like a miracle when some bands can maintain popularity over three records because i just so frequently it's a one and done scenario with anyone paying attention which is it's it's very strange to wrap your head around that particularly when bands don't necessarily make any missteps with anything yeah, that's that's. I think you're right about that. Um, you know, and that goes back to what I was saying. How you don't really. It seems like you don't have to work for anything these days. No, you know. That's funny how uh, like it, it's kind of it plays into the whole. I, I know this has been criticized widely, at least within our community and quote metal, but like with the pitchfork effect on things, where like things like that can pay attention to you for one record, and they're notorious for well, what happened to us? Where they praise one record and you get a bunch of attention and then they completely arbitrarily shit on the next one and it's like they they go out of their way to bury you and they've done that with countless heavier artists and it's just, it's strange because that seems to be the mentality of the, the scene in general where it's like you get the utility out of the one record regardless of what the next one sounds like. You're garbage. You're done. Quit. Yeah. But unfortunately, um, I think you and I definitely are not people who are going to quit. And that's, you know, much to the chagrin of people that write for Pitchfork, you know. Yeah. Which in itself is funny. Like, yeah, (laughs) when you've been at it this long, you fuckers aren't going to stop us. Well, dude, honestly, I never had use for fucking journalists, honestly, as far as like in music writing. And even and more so these days. 
Like, I think it's just like one of the most pathetic callings you can do is write about music, especially because it's filled with people who don't know how to fucking play music, play instruments or write songs. And it's just mm-hmm. that that lack of ability to do that makes them super cunty whenever they review something. And that's like basically I defy anyone to disagree with me on that because I think that's the case. Yeah, which is also funny because I, I I end up being friends with a lot of music journalists for some reason. Like we'll go and play festivals, and the only people we hang out with are the journalists, which in itself is strange because I don't really give a fuck about it. Like I, a lot of what music journalists do, I just I don't care. Like, and I feel like in terms of the actual reviewing side, like now more than ever, it's completely pointless. Like. There's really no reason why you should be listening to anyone's opinion on music, period. Yeah. Given how easy it is to hear anything you want at any time. The, the fact that track premieres nowadays is like the number one way to really promote a new record. Like, that's all that it should be. All you need for any music fan, here, here it is, listen to it. What do you think? Do you want to buy this? Cool. Done. Yeah, I mean... One of my best friends is a music writer, you know, Jay Bennett, and mm-hmm. but that still doesn't stop me from criticizing all all journalists, you know. And it's yeah, a, yeah. I, I hope it goes away, honestly, the whole fucking aspect of it, you know. But to Jay's uh, credit, he does spend more of his time ri- doing interviews and like writing about bands as opposed to reviewing records. So. Yeah, yeah. I think the the reviewing side probably it's okay if it goes away. The interviewing side, like especially with good interviewers, it can genuinely have some interesting stuff to read, which I think there's still def- a definite need for that. Although at the same time, I, we have a lot of fun with really bad interviews at the same time, particularly like the last record cycle. We, we went out of our way to fuck with people, especially like when you've had a few records that anyone's paid attention to. And if you start getting the same questions, we'd, we'd spend like, three times as much time on bad interviews than we did good ones actually i got criticized one time for not giving good enough answers um ah man i can't remember the fucking guy's name i should post his email that he sent to our press guy um it's like pagan harvest or something it's like some you know esoteric you know occult metal site somewhere and um you know he he contacted John Freeman, the guy who does typically does PR for us through relapse. And he, he was like mm-hmm. going off about how I, he doesn't think I spent enough time on the questions. Cause it was an email interview. And uh, yeah. so John, you know, he's like, yeah, check this out. You know, it's kind of weird, but he wants you to go back and like, you know, expand on these questions that your answer, your answers to these questions. So I look back on it. I'm like, Oh, okay. Let me, you know, you know, I want to do a good job. So let me, let me just check this out. I go back and I'm like, I, I wrote like two or three paragraphs to all of his fucking answers. All of all of his answers I thought were like completely well fleshed out and I answered his questions. So I wrote back to him and I was just like, dude, you know, I do the best I could. I don't know if like, you know, maybe you wanted more, you know, maybe you wanted to like have follow up questions with me, but like. That's kind of on you if you want more out of me to do a second and a third round of questions. I mean, I fuck around with interviewing people too. I mean, I've done stuff for, you know, Brooklyn Vegan and, you know, whatever. I stopped doing that shit because it's like, whatever. That's a whole other story about why I don't do yeah. music writing anymore. But like, but the, um, 
I'm like, it's kind of on you to figure that out. You know, if you want more, I'm not just going to like take one question and expand on it because also keep in mind that I'm doing like five or six of these every fucking day, man. Like when you're promoting a record, you know, you would have like, you'd get that shit in the mail, in your email constantly filled with, just filled with fucking requests for interviews. And then on top of that, there's like the European Skype interviews that you do like at six o'clock in the morning or something like that. Well, that's what I was doing, you know? trying to put that shit earlier in the day because the time changes. And I'm like, yeah. if you want to ask me another question, by all means, f- feel free. But, like, don't go around and, like, you know, fucking criticize me for not answering your questions when you haven't really done your diligence on your end to follow up with some better questions, you know? That's really funny. I, I, I'd crucify someone if they did that to me. But yeah. if they had really bo- – if, if they were unimpressed with my answers, it's probably because the questions are boring. Yeah. But that being said, usually when the questions are boring, we make really outlandish lies for answers, which is, I think that's the new mantra this band is going to follow. We we really enjoyed that, and we actually had a lot of fun answering some of the worst interview questions we had for the last record. And I think uh, really having fun with this is kind of the goal at this point. Yeah, definitely, you know. I just try, I try to take shit seriously, you know what I mean? I try to give people, like, genuine answers and... I try, yeah. try to do a good job, I, you know. I, I definitely give genuine answers to genuine questions, but when it's stuff like, how did you meet your bandmates, I'm not giving you a good answer. Yeah, that's kind of open-ended. You kind of leave yourself open to, like, some ridiculous, uh, yeah. you know. What's the band name mean? Why don't you Google that, you fucking idiot? Yeah. That I've actually asked that, like, 700 times in the last 17 years. That actually really makes the interviewer look like a fool because at this point it's a pretty well-known you know thing what that what that means i mean especially you know like getting the van has been available for what like 20 years at this point at least you know and like rollins is a household name you know so people should fucking know about black flag and the rollins band and all that shit you know Yet at the same time, we still relentlessly get made fun of for our name because people seem to think it's some sort of ken and barbie reference I um I don't fucking like that man. <laughs> I think that if someone comes at you with that sort of uh you know sort of perspective on it that you get smacked really. <laughs> okay. I just dismiss them at this point. Like really are we going through this again? So you were mentioning fucking years. Anyway, you were mentioning that you guys are heading out to the uh, the Junos again. Our, and you won you won an award in the past for for you won a Juno award. Yeah, we won the Juno in 2012 for our venerable record, which it was a very strange and surprising. Uh, it was the first time they actually did a heavy metal slash quote hard music category. Yeah, and uh, we were the least likely to win by all accounts because we were the least popular of the bands that were up for it, and we won. And it's it's it definitely helped the band. Like it allowed us to start getting some more grant money and stuff like that up in Canada. And generally it, it did increase our profile a bit. Uh, the fact that we keep getting nominated for each record since in itself is funny as hell. Cause it's not like you start playing noise rock as a kid thinking you're going to win crystal trophies. That's pretty impressive though, man. Is it only um, like, are there, see, I don't know anything about what the Junos are. I just know that when you guys won something, I was like stoked. I was like, cool. You know, they got recognized. Yeah. What what would be like, um, 
Like, what is it? Only Canadian bands, or is it like an international thing, or like what? What's I think the... they do. They do like one international award, but it's it's generally speaking, it's like the Grammys for Canadian artists. Okay, well, that's pretty fucking cool, man. Yeah, and in, in that context, like the fact that, uh, well, like this year, the bands that are up for it are Fuck the Fact, Us, oh. Cancer Bats, uh, Diamonds, and who's the other one? I'm missing someone. Cataclysm. Oh, cool. It's just strange that those kinds of bands are up for an award. And the last time we were up, it was like us, Gore Guts, wow. Ancients, uh, Protest the Hero, who ended up winning, which kind of pissed us off because we thought Gore Guts should have won. But anyway. Wow. It's, it's strange that they're nominating groups like this in like a major mainstream award thing in Canada, which it's cool. They're kind of taking the lead uh, that I think a lot of European countries that handle that stuff that way have done, but I, I'm, I'm for it. It's too bad America doesn't do stuff like that, but nah, man, at nah. the same time, it's not surprising. Nah, they don't, no, one, the government doesn't care. No one cares about you down here. It's like, it's clear that like, unless you're making somebody a fuckload of money, you don't mean shit to anybody in this country. And that's yeah. pretty much the real art doesn't go. matter. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's clear that that's the case, you know. I mean, you mentioned something about grant money. Like, there's, I, I'm assuming that's something similar to, like, European uh, grant money for the arts. Um, like, a lot of, mm-hmm, a lot mm-hmm. of Swedish bands, like, a pan, you know, Scandinavian bands are all funded partially or completely by, you know, money from their government. And is that the case in, in Canada? Yeah, I don't think we get quite as much money as some of the European countries do, but... Uh... It's it's very similar programs, and I know for us, like, that's really the only way we were able to survive touring full time the past five years. Otherwise, we would have had to pack it in way earlier because we just simply would have ran out of money. Yeah, there's just not enough money being a band our size touring the way we did, and like we were living life on a shoestring kind of deal. It's we're, we're not getting hotels every night. We're sleeping on people's floors. We're we're not eating terribly like at least we were feeding ourselves but uh yeah we weren't making rent money and it was really only the grant money that kept us going down here in the united states where this is a completely alien concept uh what would would it be like a grant where you have like an executive summary and then like a financial analysis and then put a budget together and then the government reviews it like what what would be the process in canada um, typically the way a lot of our stuff is handled, it's, uh, you, you apply for different initiatives. Like, uh, for instance, most of the money that we'd bring in would be, uh, essentially tour subsidies where you, you submit all the dates you're doing, all the, uh, capacities of the rooms, how much money you're proposing that you're supposed to be making your crew, how much gas you're going to be spending money on, blah, 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 blah. And uh, I know with programs like Factor, which is a bigger one for acts of our size, they uh, give you a set amount of money per show that's supposed to kind of be representative of what the expenses you'd be probably spending are. And uh, at the end of the tour, you have to submit like all the receipts for things you paid for and like write out uh, basically a claim for artist fees and per diems and stuff like that. And you'd get paid back for the expenses you've essentially paid for already. And that's 
the way it goes. And, it, and they do that project by project. You can get paid for different uh, showcasing initiatives. Like if we wanted to go play South by Southwest, we write in an application stating what we're trying to accomplish down there, what the expenses are going to be, blah, blah, blah. And then they assess it, how much money they want to give us for that sort of thing. And that's the way it goes. And uh, you can do the same for recording records and uh, what other things? M making music videos. I know we've, we've taken advantage of, of a few of those. Doing different marketing initiatives. Like, for instance, with our last record, we had... Uh, I applied for some and we ended up paying for some of our external PR through that. So, yeah, it's, it's really a project-by-project project basis. And uh, I know there's once you get into the higher-up programs, um, you get approved for, like, a general approval rating and then you get periodic money just based off of that but i think it's still kind of based off of the activities you have so you have to be doing things to be warranted to get this money that's pretty awesome man honestly um like i was saying before it's like unless you're making a big amount of money for somebody no one cares about you down here they want you to fail they want you to grind out your life doing this shit so that you can die in a fucking box somewhere with your dreams just crushed by the fucking corporate machine of this country. So that's pretty cool that can Canadians have a different way of living up there. You know, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, at the same time, with, with bands like us, like there's a statute of limitations on it. Um, you kind of, the aim is to be helping artists to get from one level to another level. And if you're not something that is commercially viable, you inevitably get cut off. And that is actually part of... Uh, one of the contributing factors as to why we were packing it into a certain degree and scaling back our, the amount of touring we're doing because we've kind of exhausted our resources in terms of the granting agencies. Uh, a lot of them don't see us, us as something that's going to return much to the system. So yeah. we've kind of been cut off a little bit. Yeah, but, you know, it's still cool to have had the opportunity to do that. I think that's pretty awesome. Oh, yeah, definitely. We got to live our rock and roll fantasy camp in that uh, – in no other nation should that ever have been allowable. Well, I mean, the Swedes do that with, like, Skit System and all these other bands, you know, so. Which is really funny. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, you know. But that's pretty cool. So, hey, let me ask you, um, David Yao was on one of your, um, appeared on one of, the, one of your tracks, is that correct? David Yao, no. We actually asked him, and he uh, didn't respond to us. Oh, shit. Who did you have as a back? I, someone was telling me that either David Yao or somebody was going to appear on one of your songs. Uh, we did have Eugene Robinson on one, uh, the blessed track off our last record. Oh, yeah. I recognize Eugene's voice. And, and the, uh, the previous record, we had uh, Dave Verillon do one, and Tim Singer did another. Other than that, uh, haven't really had a whole ton of guests for the most part. Huh. That would have been rad to have David Yao. I forgot who told me that. I was like, oh, that should be cool. Because huh? I was wondering if that was a song that was like forthcoming. or. But I guess it's uh, it's not. It's uh, something that's not actually happening. <laughs> so. Yeah. It may have even been me that mentioned that. Because I know I had like a, a segment of a song all planned out. And uh, yeah, I, I hit him up and he just completely ghosted me. So... Oh, well. <laughs> well, you know, David David Yao has been trying to kick off an acting career. Um, he's been, yeah, I guess, I guess he's a busy man, eh? You know, he's appeared in a couple, of, a couple of things I've seen recently. So, you know, he's actually pretty good. 
you would think, as an actor. Cool. Well, you'd, you'd think he'd have a spark there, given his flair for theatrics on stage. So yeah. So he's um, uh, coming from the same place. On uh, Instagram and various other social media outlets, I've seen this um, this thing that you guys are doing, this business that you're embarking on, um, where you, you and your brother appear in suits with ties. Yeah, we're looking pretty sharp these days. So, uh, <laughs> you know, what's, what's that all about, man? Uh, well, we figured uh, we, we, we need to make some, some grown-up money again, and... Uh, we didn't really know what to do and we've been essentially working for ourselves for the past five years and the concept of having to get a job and work for someone else and make money for someone else made us both kind of want to kill ourselves. So I pitched this idea of, cause Shane's a CPA slash CA in Canada and has been since we started touring full time. And I worked in accounting a bunch before we started touring too. And I also have uh, a degree in small business management and marketing. And we kind of have a pretty well-rounded, like legit business skill set. And uh, we kind of had the idea to to try pitching these services to, to help other artists because it's, it's kind of a, a realm within the arts that's severely underutilized. And there's a lot of, especially with accounting, a lot of tax loopholes and just general lack of knowledge that if it was actually done properly, people could be saving thousands of dollars just simply by having someone paying attention to the actual tax aspects of their tax aspects of their life. And, uh, we, we started this thing kind of right around the right time, I think, cause tax season's coming up and we've, we've been building up a couple clients doing some meetings. We're hopefully going to be spreading the word a lot more and, hopefully expanding this thing so we can make a living off of it a bit. But, uh, yeah, some of, some of the things we've been accomplishing so far is pretty cool. Just even with uh, a couple acts that we've, we've brought on where we're already saving them a couple thousand dollars in tax, which from like the just do gooder side of things, uh, it, it, it feels pretty cool to be able to help other artists, because we, we obviously, we, we know the grind, and it, it sucks. And we've been saving ourselves a bunch of tax for years just doing things right. So it's time to to stop having so many musicians getting taken advantage of by other people. Well, that's a really uh, interesting business uh, model because, um, you know, that it, and you guys are primarily going to be focusing on, on other you know, musicians and bands and things like that, right? Yeah, well, the idea, we don't want to pigeonhole it to just musicians, but I know that's kind of a, the pool that we can draw from the most, being that we actually have a reputation within the music industry, but yeah. uh, we're, we're down to work with artists of all kinds, artists, entertainers, even obviously other small businesses. Right now, we just kind of want to eat, but uh, the, the goal would be to, to get into legit business management for more arts and entertainment and music. That, that would be kind of the, the ideal with everything. It'd be cool to to actually legitimately help some people manage their businesses properly and uh, be able to make decisions with the data if it's handled right. Because I know we've been doing that, but it really isn't cost-effective for bands of our size. But if you start having some, some legitimate volume and do things the way we did them and continue doing them, 
you can see some real benefits from that stuff. So yeah. it'll be cool to see how this thing uh, expands as we go forward. Yeah, it's really cool because we have we have an accountant down here in the states, and he's actually the highest. Well, we were we actually started working with a new accountant directly for this reason because this guy was like the highest paid um, person on our in the whole camp was our accountant, <laughs> you know, yeah. which is like ironic since so little money actually comes, you know, across our threshold. And that, and this guy was like the highest paid out of anyone, like out of like anyone in the band or a booking agent or any of those people, this guy. Yeah, that's fucked up. And that's kind of, that, that's completely the counter to the mantra we have where legitimately in some of the assessments we've been doing for people, if it's not worthwhile to have us doing their stuff, we're going to tell them that. And uh, part of how we're scaling uh, the way we handle the actual fee structure, like if, if it doesn't make sense to have us do the bookkeeping side, we're creating a lot of templates and systems that we can help artists initiate themselves to keep themselves more organized. So it minimizes our actual involvement when it gets down to the actual tax inputs at the end of the year. So the work that we're putting in is is the least amount that we possibly need to. So it saves the bands the most amount of money. And I, I feel like there's too many service providers that just don't get that in specific. Like, I, I understand that people need work and they need to eat. But like when you're dealing with artists, like none of us are making any fucking money. So when you're asking for like $500 to do the accounting, like you're realizing that bands of our size, none of us are making even $500 most of the time like we're paying for some of the expenses and that's really what we're aiming to do that's interesting because if anyone should know how much money you're actually making it should be the guy doing your your fucking taxes at the end of the year you know yeah. and it's like because i remember when i first started working with this guy you know i'm like okay cool send me your invoice and i looked at it and i was like oh fucking go easy a little bit you know because you can see how much money we're not making you know yeah and, uh, but yeah, so now, you know, we got a different guy and he's a little bit more reasonable and, um, yeah, it's just a fucking scam. Like the whole, the whole trip, man. It's just like, yeah. well, if he's ever not too reasonable, you should talk to us. Cause we do it across all borders. <laughs> really? You guys do the States too? Yeah. Like well, right now it's funny. Cause like with the actual accounting side, like we, most of the work is, is just straight accounting and we can do accounting for really any region it's just you need a, a proper CPA to file the taxes yeah, see, itself. Yeah. And the taxes isn't that hard. So we, we're getting connections with CPAs in the States, and we have some in Canada too that can file it within the States. So uh, the, the goal that we're trying to provide here is to, to save any clients of ours money. So you see, I'm into, we're getting I'm into the resources this. to be able to file in the States, file in, in Europe, do whatever we need to do. I'm interested in this because, uh, as you know, I live in probably one of the most expensive cities in the world, and uh, yeah, know, everyone justifies how much money they get paid because of the high overhead of just being here. And um, you know, I, I want to pay whatever is fair, but also just because some guy's got an office like in like Midtown Manhattan, I don't want to have uh, that reflect a higher rate on what I actually pay this guy just to file my taxes. So. So I'm into this uh, this concept, and yeah, let's uh, definitely stay in touch about all that because I'm always looking to save a buck here and there, um, you know. And uh, 
that's that's a really cool fucking business, man. Mm-hmm. So, um, what's next for you guys? Or you know, you, you're taking this whole break. You said you're you're starting to get the itch to create. Um, do you guys have anything in the upcoming year that you have to do as far as like maybe deliver a record or are there any plans for when that might ne- that next record might surface? Um, not really. Uh, we have an EP that's probably going to come out this year that I still kind of have to get the artwork together because uh, with the success session that we did with uh, Albini, we had an additional four songs that weren't on the record, one of which was on a split seven inch we released in November with the Atlas Moth, and then there's another three songs that we're going to do on a seven inch EP that's supposed to come out on Reptilian Records. Oh, cool. But, uh, Right now, everyone kind of involved with the artwork and actually Reptilian is relocated to Austin, Texas. So things have kind of slowed down on that front. So we still have to find out when that is going to anticipate to come out, but that'll probably be sometime this year. Uh, then past that, we just kind of have to get in into a cycle of actually writing again and figure out how we want to approach all of this. But I, I think we'll probably aim to put out a record maybe... 2018 we've kind of been on like a two-year cycle with recording touring blah 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 and i I think it'd be kind of cool to break that cycle right now give us a couple years to to make something that's a a definitive statement again not that the other records haven't been but i i want to make something a little uglier and take my time with it 2018 man i could be dead by then fuck it's true. It's true. You got to stay alive just to hear this thing then. <laughs> so the, the songs for the EP, have they already been recorded or is that something you guys got? Oh, yeah. On? Yeah. They, they, we've recorded them in 2014. Oh, right. Yeah. They were at the Albini sessions. Right. Right. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah. How was working with That's, Steve Albini, man? Fuck. I've always wanted to work with that guy. It was really cool. Um, I kind of just based off of interviews and the tone of his music, I kind of I had an idea of what to expect in terms of his sense of humor and what he was like. And I I thought we'd probably get along with him and we did get along with him really well. So for me, it was the most fun I've actually had making a record part of it because I I think I prepared more for this record than any other one. And I knew what to expect in terms of the way he works in the studio and how hands off he actually is. But uh, even just like us, the way we ate during the session, uh, just the, the, the nature of uh, the, the workload, it was just it was a lot of fun. And I, I'd, I'd love to do it again. I hope uh, the rest of the band shares those sentiments and we can pull it off because we definitely approach this record with a very specific aesthetic for the music. And I, I think I'd like to do something a little more fucked up, dark and uh heavy and violent sounding and see how we could make a record like that turn out also with Steve and then maybe move on to try something else in the future. Like we've kind of jumped around with every record with a different like engineer slash producer simply just because I I like to see how other people's filters would work with our music, whatever we're we're doing at the time. And uh, I I think it'd be cool just to test the, the Albini trick one more time just to see where something a little meaner could come from because he definitely does that kind of noise rock thing in a very cool way, but there haven't been a lot of like really dark records that he's done, at least from our scene. And I think that'd be cool to check out. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, the, there's the Neurosis records that he did, and um, but you know, there's a lot of space in those records. And um, I don't know if yeah. you, I don't know if you remember the band La Gratona from Boston, like from a million years ago. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Their their one LP was done with Steve Albini, and uh, what I imagine is based on knowing you when you're talking about a much more fucked up, like violent approach, it's probably something similar to what they were doing. Probably even more violent. Yeah. Cool. I got I always, I always really like those the some of the older Zenny Giva records he did too, but oh, I yeah. think I'd mm-hmm. I'd want to go even darker and heavier. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I've always wanted so to work with happens. Steve. Always wanted to work with Steve Albini, but um I just don't know how our music would really lend itself to his his approach. Um, really. Yeah, you never know until you try. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So he doesn't really he's not like He's straight up just like an engineer. Like you come in, you do your thing, and he captures all the sounds and then mixes it. He's yeah. not. He's not getting involved at all. Not particularly. No. If if he thinks something sounds uh, fucked up or shitty, he might say something, or he might not. Uh, we've heard some funny stories of uh, bands he didn't care for, and uh, them hoping for him to get more involved, and he would straight up shut them down with a, like, there's nothing on this board that I can turn that will turn down the suck. Wow. Damn. That's, um, you know, I can appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm just glad he didn't hate what we were doing. It made for a more lighthearted and fun session. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, like, if he didn't like our band, it really doesn't fucking matter. He was there to do a job. That's right, man fucking he's there to provide a service and he's being compensated for that service so he should shut the fuck up and do his job i agree with you completely yeah and i think that's generally the way he approaches uh making records too and i think that's why it takes some bands by surprise because they expected more they think uh well we got steve albini we're gonna come out sounding like nirvana or the jesus lizard or the pixies or whatever it's like no you're gonna sound like you in a room Cause that's what he does. Hey, have you seen any of those uh, Sonic Highway like HBO documentaries? Because he's yeah, watched... I actually watched all of them. Yeah, it was funny because the timing of when that came out was uh, the the one that he did was like the week before he was coming up to Winnipeg to record with us. Cool. Oh, he went up there. You guys, yeah, you yeah. guys didn't go to Electric we... Audio. We got some money from uh, oh. the Manitoba, one of the Manitoba programs, and one of the stipulations is the record has to be done in Manitoba. Interesting. They'll allow you to hire like an external producer, given that they have a certain level of expertise, blah, 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 but you have to make the record in Manitoba, so we, we brought him up to Winnipeg to do the album. That's fucking far out, man. So he, he, uh, he came up there to do the record. Cool. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, that um, the Chicago one was probably one of the better ones, I think, in that series of uh, documentaries that Dave Grohl did. Yeah, I thought so too. It was it was cool. We actually we went down to his studio to mix part of the record too, just because it was. Uh, he, he preferred to do it in his room, and uh, we we had the time and the money and blah blah blah. But uh, getting to go down to his his studio and mix some of the record there was really fucking cool yeah totally that man. that place is badass yeah i've never been there you know not even to visit it's like the two places that i've never been to 
are two places that are very, very popular places for people to work at. And one of them is Electric Audio, and the other one is Tracks East out in Jersey. And uh, never, been, never stepped foot mm-hmm. in either one of those places, you know. And I'd like to someday. Yeah, we've uh, we really like we've done most of our records in Winnipeg. The only time we've ever not recorded there is when we went to God City, and uh, since since then we've been kind of taking advantage of some of the recording grants and because of that we have to do everything in manitoba and it's been cool getting to, to bring people to manitoba to do this stuff with us um i'm into it doing stuff from home is is there's a certain relaxing aspect to that where we actually get to sleep in your own bed and then go work in a studio all day it's pretty cool i'm kind of the other way around actually it's um having you know i've done a couple records here in New York, but in general, I like to get, get out of town to do it and just focus on the record. And there's like too much chaos here and I get distracted by that. And, uh, it's like better, I think to be out. You, you live in a pretty crazy city though. Yeah. Yeah. You're actually, you're right about that. But, um, yeah, like going, going to like, you know, P- St. Petersburg to record with, with Rutan was, was great. Cause we were, we stayed in like this, um, in like a hotel, it was like more like a sort of economy bungalow type place that was right on the beach. And uh, we just drove the studio was like maybe 15 minute drive away and uh, just going in, doing your thing, going back, chilling out, cooking up some food, going to sleep and just doing it over again. The next day it was nice. And you didn't have to there was there was no no one around. There was no one, you know to bother you there was no uh you know concerns or no girlfriends or anything like that no um you know anyone to think about to get involved in your life and to distract you from actually doing the work and i i, I like i like recording yeah, that that's way, cool. you know but uh but it's good i guess if i lived in a a more sort of quiet calming place i might not want to leave there so much <laughs> Yeah, no, it's funny because like I know the, the times we've recorded in Winnipeg, we we really haven't had any external distractions either. Like when when we are doing a record, it's we're in that bubble. You leave us the fuck alone for this time that we're we're making this album because everything we're doing revolves around that. We might get food with people once or twice, but uh, for the most part, just don't bother me. We're, yeah, we're busy. <laughs> I remember recording. Don't bother Steve Albini. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. You don't want to bother bother that guy. But yeah, like working here in the, in New York is like even even things like did I park the van in a space where it's not going to get a ticket or like did I fucking you know like little distractions like that these like subtle things that are always on my mind whenever I'm here. Yeah, I could I could see that uh, detracting from the whole scenario. Yeah. So, you know, thanks thanks for taking time out on a Sunday and. um it's good to catch up. No worries, man. Glad glad we could finally make this happen. Yeah, totally, man. And um, so yeah, dude, enjoy the rest of your day. I'm gonna be uh, hard at work, um, editing this, and uh, it'll be up tomorrow. <laughs> Hell yeah! Hopefully, I'll get to uh, doing some guitar work today. I I need to to fucking play. It's been pathetic. I really have no motivation. All I do is practice Muay Thai and do work. It sucks. Well, that's not so bad. <laughs> but uh yeah actually I, I had practice earlier today man i was down at the space at 11 this morning so um we got some uh writing in and uh 
met up with you. And now I'm going to go and uh, go to the organic food market and pick up some groceries. And that's going to be my day. Sounds like you've got a pretty good day planned out I got here. A nice, I got a nice little Sunday planned for myself. Well, hell yeah. <laughs> Get to it, man. All right, dude. Take care. Yeah, no kidding. You too, man. Good talking. All right, later. Later.